This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Welcome, friends and warriors, to podcast number three. We have something really special in store for you today on the podcast. We've been digging into our blog archives for the past couple of episodes and talking about some of our most popular blogs. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a different route and talk about our first Bellator Society video that we released for Mother's Day this year called The Sacrament of Motherhood. And just the name probably seems a little bit controversial. So we're continually delighted when a Bellator Society blog is shared and enjoyed by a large number of people. But to be honest, we were totally blown away by the viewing and sharing of our video. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. It was really quite overwhelming. Um, I think the last time we got the numbers, we were somewhere around 25,000 views. Bonkers. (laughs) That's bonkers. And you know, we worked so hard to create something um, that really honored the story we were telling and was uh, true to the, the, the church's teachings and that the theological message that we were trying to convey, um, you know, was well received to a world that so badly needs stories of hope and grace, you know, real stories of miracles, even tiny miracles. Um, but we also know that whenever we're trying to do something good, uh, the devil doesn't like that. And so we run into challenges, which we did and criticism, which we did, Mm -hmm. but we did, we did see that train, I think coming a mile away. Right. Yeah, for sure. So during our production process, we turned quickly to some of our most trusted consultants for the okay that we were at least presenting something that was not contrary to Catholic thought, right? Exactly, exactly. So when we decided to do this podcast episode on our Sacrament of Motherhood video, we could think of no better person to chat about it with than our very own Bellator Society self-appointed chaplain or it's not Matt self, Glover. It's not, it's not no it's our self-appointed i guess it's it's a bi- not an autobiography it's a biography we did it we appointed the bellator society appointed uh matt glover as our you know he's our he's our go-to he's our call a deacon yeah. uh, so he gave us good counsel in making our video he's the chancellor of for canonical affairs for the diocese of little rock He's a permanent deacon married to a beautiful and very, very smart woman with whom he is raising their two darling children. He's a Bellator Society guest blog contributor, and he is our close and personal friend. And we were so thrilled he said yes to talk to us today. So without further ado, we welcome to the podcast, Matt Glover. Hey, everybody. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure anytime I can self-appoint myself to a position. (laughs) (laughs) We appoint you, you appoint us. There's so much appointing (laughs) happening. So this is definitely going to be a podcast of distinctions and qualifications, given the nature of our topic, right? And so I think before we jump into the topic of sacraments and sacramentals, um, maybe we should do a little distinction and qualification about who these people are who are talking about this, because I feel like 
you know, we, we all have things that we are well read on or things that we are expert in. And, um, but it's always good for readers and for listeners to know who's doing the talking. So, Hey, Matt, what's up with you? What are you into? What are you interested in? What are you qualified to talk about? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm any kind of sacramental law expert or anything like that, but I, uh, I did my undergraduate work in theology and then ended up going into graduate work in theology when I was in seminary in my former lifetime and uh, got a graduate degree over in Rome and then went to law school, got a civil law degree. And then uh, when I came back to work for the diocese, they sent me to canon law school. And so that I have a degree in canon law as well. And so all of that coursework, you know, I've got background education, obviously, in, in basic uh, sacramental theology at the undergrad and graduate level. And then, of course, in canon law school, there's coursework on the canonical, uh, the church law aspects of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. So you that, sound legit to me. I'm, I'm, that I'm, sounds I'm, I'm, religious. I'm pretty, pretty much as legit as it's going to come from, <laughs> from someone in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yep. That's, nice. That is good street cred for us. But I actually have a bit of a follow-up question for you because um, I appreciate all that good street cred and you are legit too legit to quit. But um, what is your, I think the kids these days call it your blue flame. Like, what is it that excites you? Um, what is your charism? Like, what, what do you care about? Yeah, I love, uh, I love the church's teachings mm. and the, digging into the magisterial aspects of what the church teaches and why we believe what we believe. Mm. And so I, sometimes that gets grouped into, you know, categorized into something like apologetics. And I, I do love apologetics. I don't know that I would want to kind of pigeon my soul, my pigeonhole myself into just, uh, being into apologetics, but I like digging into uh, not just what we believe as Catholics, but why we believe it and how we can kind of get other Catholics to, to want to dig into that themselves so that they can then go out and defend to others and explain to others and evangelize to others the beauties of our Catholic teaching and why it is uh, that we hold these things to be uh, eternal truths of our faith. Amen. And I would say that is um, a shared value uh, that we have as well here at Bellator Society, that we want to create an environment and a, and a place and a space where Catholicism um, can be presented truthfully, but also beautifully in a way that is um, clear and um, consumable. So we thank you for joining us today. Yeah. And, and just thank and just thank you for helping us in the process of this video and other videos to come. Because <laughs> we will always put them up for your, your A-OK. Oh, great. <laughs> you're, you're protecting our souls from heresy. Yeah. Little do you know, we have appointed you. So normally when we do our podcast, you know, the first two that we've done, we talk about the blog and then we, um, we kind of read a little bit of the blog and then we go through and we just kind of dissect it and share kind of our thoughts on it. So this time, because it's a video, we are going to, um, play a little clip or the whole video actually, cause I think it's only a couple minutes long. So we're going to play the video and let our listeners listen to the video. And so that way we all kind of have the same frame of reference when we're talking about sacraments and sacramentals. So here we go. Mr. Producer, run the clip. A sacrament is an outward sign of inward grace, or at least that's what we're taught. 
but the most beautiful lesson that I've ever had in sacrament came from a kiss. At the end of my brother's battle with brain cancer, all of my siblings and my parents, we all descended on Walter Reed Medical Center to start the long goodbye that was the last weeks of his life. I'm the oldest of six kids. He was one of our little brothers. This Marine who had lived for eight years with a brain cancer time bomb in his head. This was one of those perfect nights. We were all gathered around his bed, scooching in and squishing close, just like always. There was a guitar because there's always a guitar. And we were singing the songs that we had sung since we were children, way before we ever knew what the words meant. And at the end of one of those songs, my mom leaned in and she gave him a big kiss. And he said, oh, there it is. He had been coming in and out of lucidity with the pain and the pain meds taking their turns in his head. My mom asked him, what, what was it? And he said, Grace. So my mom leaned in and she kissed him harder. And he said, there it is again. So often our mothers are our first priests. They teach us what it is for God to pour his love and his mercy and his compassion into us. With their bodies, they kiss us with what we can feel and hear and taste and smell, we receive God's grace and it is transformative. And that is sacrament. I just wanna say quickly, I was there with our producer and our you know sound guy and the guy who was running the camera. And it was, it was such a testament and emotional session for everyone. Of course, Fran held it together and she, you can see in the video her emotion and she's, but she's holding it together because she's sharing, you know, this beautiful time that she and, um, that she witnessed with her family and her mom just kind of pouring into her brother, um, during such a hard time. Um, but first non-Christian, Catholic, non-Catholic, there wasn't a dry eye, you know, in, in the in the area. And Fran had to do it a couple times because, you know, it's like a bird's chirping or a car's driving by, alarm goes off. So we did it multiple times and she just beautifully, beautifully was just such a vessel of grace to, to even those of us standing there. Um, and I don't know if, if our listeners have watched it, but I, I almost challenge you to watch it because I think you'll be touched and moved and you will not be able to probably keep your eyes from leaking quite a bit because it's just heartfelt and beautiful and um, just such a sweet, sweet tribute uh, that Fran did for her family. Well, now, Fran, you. your turn. <laughs> thank you. It feels, feels, feels a little bit like navel gazing at this point, but um, <laughs> I, I hope that, I hope we did a good job of telling a story that was not really my story. I was the teller for sure, but um, I was the witness uh, primarily and um, so thankful to have been um, witness to really what I would consider to be a miracle. Because again, what I don't think I talk about um, in depth is, you know, my brother was not of um, deep or profound piety. You know, he, he was religious our entire lives. Um, I do believe that he believed in God. He was a Christian. Um, he availed himself of the sacraments, especially towards the end of his life. Um, but to see grace, just the word grace, um, come so quickly out of his mouth at that moment, um, was miraculous and everybody in their room felt that. So, um, but as we anticipated in the making of the video, we did receive some criticism about it. And, um, 
The first of which was a concern from a commenter uh, who told us that we were being a little misleading in our title and seemingly creating, quote, a faux sacrament in referring to this notion of motherhood being a sacrament. And so Matt Glover, we turn to you. We would love your take on that. Specifically, how long will I be in purgatory for this title? And you, being not only a civil attorney, but also a canon lawyer, can you help us mitigate this a little bit? <laughs> well, I'd say at least 100 years. But, <laughs> but, but the more times that uh, you send me and my wife bottles of wine, that, mm. that purgatory time can be mitigated. So, Noted. Yeah. The uh, You know, I think... Uh, I understand the criticism, and I, I do understand where it's coming from. I think uh, the criticism of saying you, that you were creating a, quote, faux sacrament is taking it a bit too far, because when I hear the word faux, I'm, I'm obviously thinking that of the word fake or mm -hmm. pretend or something like that. And, and that might be true if we as Catholics believed uh, in just a, or, ju or if we were just talking about strictly what are the seven uh, sacraments that are infallibly to be held as the the means of receiving grace. And the reality is, uh, you know, one of the beauties of our Catholic faith and one of the things that I love about being Catholic is uh, we have all of these instances throughout our lives. You had this one with your brother. I had one, I had them with my dad when he was passing away. Mm -hmm. um, and I have them with my children, you know, all the time where you have concrete uh, experiences of grace coming into our lives and, and working through other people coming into our lives. Uh, but grace doesn't just operate in our lives just when we can feel it or experience it or sense it. And so one of the beautiful things about our Catholic faith to me is we have these seven sacraments that we know because the church is taught infallibly and they're grounded in scripture and tradition. We know that even if we don't feel it or experience it or sense it in the moment, we know infallibly that by participating in those sacraments, we know we are receiving God's grace, even if we don't feel it or experience it. But that doesn't mean that God's grace is limited just to those seven sacraments. And so the catechism itself uh, talks more broadly, and other Vatican II documents talk more broadly about uh, a broader understanding of sacrament. And that doesn't mean that we're saying that there are sacraments beyond the seven sacraments infallibly defined as such. But it means that, for example, uh, you know, the church is a sacrament in a certain sense, is a sacrament of Jesus Christ, is the real abiding presence of Jesus Christ uh, here on earth. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the sacrament of the Father, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's a, in the church's long theological tradition, there's, a, there's certainly the sacramental concept of these seven sacraments where we infallibly know that we are tapping into God's grace. Mm -hmm. But there's also this broader understanding of sacrament where, uh, you know, we are, that's one of the reasons why we as Catholics love our, uh, our art and music and uh, theater and all of these other things, because we are, a, we are not just spiritual beings. We're body and spirit. And so, you know, and that's how God has created us, to experience God not just in the spiritual or in our souls, but also through the physical. Uh, we're both and, we're not either or. And so, you know, I thought your video uh, and your tribute to your brother and to your mother did a, was, a, was a, 
just a beautiful example of showing how God's grace is not limited to these seven sacraments, and that with a, a broader understanding of what sacrament is, that uh, that image and that story fit perfectly into a kind of the broader concept of sacrament. Now, I, I didn't, I understood the criticism uh, if you, I would understand the criticism, I think, if you were trying to say that this was an additional sacrament in addition to the seven. But that's that's not wasn't your your greater point. So no, a- absolutely. And so case closed. That was not a problem. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I outdoor society one. <laughs> Critic <No>. zero. <laughs> no, but I too, even even in even in t- I mean, even in making the title, thinking about it and considering it and talking with you about it prior to our release of it. I mean, all of those concerns were had. And of course, because sure. it is in my nature to do research, I went and yeah. was like what other places are there where we refer to something that isn't one of those seven ritualized um, infallible sacraments? Yeah. Where For else- all of you Bellator followers out there, I can assure you, Franchelle is probably the least likely person associated with Bellator to get creative with her theology. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but what, go ahead. I was just going to say she's so well-versed that she can get creative yes. because she she can be artistic and creative and because she knows the 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 bigger meaning the broad meaning the acute meaning i mean she's she is yeah and i guess what i meant by that is yeah i totally agree and i probably misspoke i i wouldn't i guess my bigger point is that fran is overly concerned in a good way about knowing where the lines of orthodoxy are and not wanting to ever cross those lines of orthodoxy. And there's a lot of range, you know, within that spectrum. Um, there's a lot of range within our Catholic theological tradition. But, you know, Franchelle, for, for all of you Bellator listeners out there, she is not looking at intentionally trying to push boundaries at all. Oh, heavens no. Y'all are making me blush, but 100% I, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely <laughs> care that we are staying on the straight and narrow as, as, as best we can, and, and yet also recognizing that the narrow isn't that narrow sometimes. Um, and what, what I think gave me some reassurance apart from Matt Glover's final blessing was that um, in my research, I found um, a little statement on the USCCB um, website that actually it was like such a beautiful corollary to the the message and the story. And if I could just um, quote it really fast, he said, uh, the, the bishops tell us, our US bishops tell us that we recognize that the sacraments have a visible and invisible reality, a reality open to all the human senses, but grasped in its God-given depths with the eyes of faith. When parents hug their children, for example, the visible reality we see in a hug is that visible reality. The invisible reality is that the hug conveys love. We cannot see the love the hug expressed, though sometimes we can see it nurturing its nurturing effect in the child. And I, I did not read that prior to making the video. I found it afterwards when I was kind of, you know, panicking, like, did we say something wrong? <laughs> but I mean, what a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit to, to, to say that even a parent's hug is sacramental or is a participation in that sacramental life of the opportunity to encounter God through our bodies. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, Fran, and I having your mom, you know, the pictures that go along with our video, having your mom, you know, the pictures of her feeding your brother and just pouring so much mm-hmm. of her, the last 
fit that she had into his soul um, reminded me so much of the Blessed Mother. You know, she couldn't take the pain away. She couldn't take him off the cross, but she was there and she was praying for him and she was ministering to him. And the minute he could come down from the cross, she was there to receive his body. And so um, I think your mom is, is such a is such a, a symbol of that grace um, and such a, or not even a symbol. She's, she's a living, um, you know, person that just reflected our, our lady and how she, you know, cared for your, for your brother. And um, I've never heard that about the hug being, it can be mm-hmm. a sacrament. I'm going to go hug all my children today. I know. I know. <laughs> but that kind of brings us to, that brings us to another point that we covered that I thought, and I think Matt, you thought too, could be a point of contention. And that's the idea of the the minister of the the sacramentality, you know, that, that I referred to our mothers as sometimes our first priests. Yeah. And I think we both anticipated that that could be a sticky point and it really wasn't. And which surprised me that we didn't get criticism for that. But Good. I still think, exactly, th- praise God, but yeah. I still think that that's something that is worthy of talking about because I do think we overlook this notion that we are participatory in a priesthood of believers. I mean, n- not to discount our ordained priesthood by no means, but sure. could you could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I want to say that I don't think, you know, between you and uh, Tracy and myself, I don't think you're going to find people who are, you know, more supportive of the ministerial priesthood and mm. of those who have devoted their lives uh, entirely and completely to spreading the gospel and serving us as ministerial priests. Amen. And so certainly that, you know, that uh, use of language uh, in your in your video was n- in no way intended to decrease or minimize the importance, you know, inestimable and irreplaceable importance of our ministerial priesthood. But, you know, our Vatican II documents and throughout our, again, throughout our Catholic theological tradition talks about these two different priesthoods, priesthoods, that there's a priesthood of all believers, there's a baptismal priesthood, and then from the baptismal priesthood are called and anointed and dedicated ministerial priests. And it's certainly through the ministerial priests, most directly, that we receive the sacraments and whatnot. Um, but that doesn't diminish and should never diminish uh, our role in the minister in the in our baptismal priesthood, in the royal priesthood. That language is obviously all throughout the Old Testament. And then, uh, you know, in in First Peter, our first pope himself, the most ministerial priest of all of the ministerial priests, you know, the rock <laughs> on which our the rock on which our church was founded. Uh, talks twice in First Peter about that to everybody, talking to everybody, talking to the people of God, talking to all Christians, that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart. So, you know, our first pope himself didn't shy away from emphasizing and talking about how, yes, we have a ministerial priesthood, but all of us Christians function as a, a royal priesthood. And as such, you know, we are called to be, not 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 just uh, we have the ability to be or we're able to be, but we are called to be. We are supposed to be instruments of God's grace here in this world in a, in a way that's different than the ministerial priesthood. So oftentimes uh, you'll have the distinction drawn, especially in Vatican II documents, talking about 
the role of the ministerial priesthood is uh, sacrificial in nature. It's about the sacraments and the sacrifice offered on the altar and whatnot. And the role of the laity, the proper role of the laity, the baptismal priesthood, so to speak, uh, is, to, is to sanctify the secular. Priests are, are not able to sanctify the secular in the same way as laity are. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we laity, uh, you laity, I, I'm a deacon, so I'm kind of like an in-betweener. You know? I'm, not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a priest, but I'm not lay either. So anyway, but, but laity really are called to sanctify the secular in a way that priests never would be able to. And uh, your video portrayed a, an intimate uh, and and direct example of that kind of imparting of grace from your mother, uh, not only to your brother, but I'd you know certainly to your entire family, um, was an instrument of that grace. And insofar as any of us are instruments of grace, we're doing it because we're we're tapping into our baptism, and tapping into our baptism means we're tapping into our baptismal priesthood. And so I I don't think it's wrong at all to to talk about uh, our mothers as our first priests, especially when you talked about. Uh, you know, they're the first ones usually to, you know, to hold us, the first ones to feed us, uh, the first ones with that kind of physical, visceral contact. Um, so I, I'm glad that that, uh, that that point didn't raise really a whole lot of objection or consternation, but it is a, it's a helpful thing to think about and reflect about and, and pray about nonetheless. Yeah. And something that um, I don't want to get too geeky about it, but I do. Um, as I was thinking about it, um, so we have, it's important to make distinctions in, in all sort of philosophical discussion and theological discussion. Um, and one of which is the distinction between um, the sacraments and sa- the sacramental, right? And um, one of those uh, distinctions that I have heard, and correct me if this is not the proper distinction, is that a sacrament is um, basically an outward sign of inward grace um, instituted by Christ, right, for our sanctification and for yep. our holiness and all those things. And that a sacramental might be m- more appropriately uh, qualified or defined as an outward sign of um, inward grace or a spiritual effect instituted by the church. Church. Would you agree with that distinction? Yeah, I would say that's a fair distinction. And I would say also that oftentimes sacramentals uh, connect us to grace by pointing us more deeply to a sacrament itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, for example, holy water is a, is a sacramental uh, and uh, instituted, uh, some would say arguably, has, obviously has scriptural foundations to it. So, uh, But there is a point in time in the early church when you where you see a pope saying holy water is a, a good and virtuous thing to be put to use, yes. so to speak. Um, but it also points us directly to our baptism. It mm-hmm. points us to the waters mm-hmm. of baptism. So yes, I would say sacramentals, uh, you know, are instituted by the church. And again, for us Catholics, that's not a problem, you know, right. because uh, our church, uh, especially our Holy Father and in full communion with the bishops, has the authority uh, to institute these kinds of things, to bind and loose on heaven, not as a means to, you know, make our lives more difficult or, you know, more confusing or problematic, but to give us more chances and opportunities to tap into that grace. And that's right. what those sacramentals do. 
Well, and then my, my next question, um, just kind of corollary, I know we're going to go into sacramentals uh, tracing in just a second, but I just wanted to circle back really fast to the idea of motherhood and how we titled it uh, the sacrament of motherhood versus the sacramental of motherhood. Um, again, I think that Matt, you did a fantastic job of giving us that general sense of sacrament where I think it fits really well there. But as I was thinking about the distinction between sacrament and sacramental being instituted by Christ or versus instituted by the church, motherhood isn't instituted by the church. Right. So I almost feel like had I said, or had we said the sacramental of motherhood, that would have almost been inappropriate in in the in a technical way because yeah. it's Jesus it's God that makes us mothers in a, in a very real way and so any grace that we impart through our mothering um, is indeed instituted by God himself so I feel like that that gave for me a little bit of reassurance that okay maybe we were leaning in the right direction we maybe could have chosen both or either but um, maybe sacrament was a more technically appropriate term. Yeah. And I think, again, not to get too far into the weeds on it, but I, I think also uh, when you look at motherhood, just from the aspect of natural law, not that this mm -hmm. is all based on natural law, but sacramentals obviously are not a natural law thing. They're just mm -hmm. things that, you know, the church has established uh, over the ages, but motherhood is, you know, how man and woman were created to be, you know, mm -hmm. man, man and woman, man and woman created to be from the very beginning in our very nature by natural law, by God's design uh, to then go forth and procreate. Uh, and so the, the motherhood aspect, you know, you, you wouldn't want to uh, to put to just slap the label of sacramental on it, because that does kind of imply that it came forth from the church when, in fact, motherhood mm -hmm. certainly preceded the existence of the church. Yeah. Speaking of sacramentals, I want to go back for a second because, you know, a lot of people, especially non-Catholics, but even some Catholics, I think, feel like sacramentals can kind of be superstitious or some sort of, um, I'm going to sprinkle my baseball, you know, glove with holy water and I'm going to win this game or I'm going to have, you know, <laughs> God's grace in this game. And I know people who have done that. And um, so I want to talk about that a little bit and kind of even go through like some of the top sacramentals that people, you know, use because I, I pray my rosary, I wear my scapula, I've got holy water from Lourdes, from my local parish priest, I've got, you know, blessed salts. I love sacramentals. I love art. I love, you know, music. Um, but can you talk a little bit about maybe the heart of the person and how they use sacramentals? Like, do you do is it bad if you're not, if your heart is not in a pure sense or, you know, can the Lord work through a superstitious heart to draw that person to him, um, in a holy way? Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I mean, the catechism warns against superstitions and being superstitious and, uh, and there's always the danger, a danger alongside of that of being presumptuous that, uh, I'm going to presume that if I do this particular thing, God's going to bend to my will somehow. Um, but I, I, I mean, I would agree exactly with what you said at the very end there, that uh, while we always want to guard against superstition, and certainly there are people that make use of, and cultures that make use of certain sacramentals or certain rituals uh, with the intention of being superstitious with it. But the reality is only God can read those hearts, you know, right. uh, and only only God can judge what a person's intention is. We have to do a, a good job and probably sometimes a better job in some circumstances as, as Catholics of explaining to people what the real intent and purpose of a sacramental is and mm -hmm. that it's not intended to be 
uh, used with the intent of superstitious, you mm-hmm. know, uh, some superstitious beliefs. But uh, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily always evil inherently uh, for a person's intentions to be mixed. I mean, I, there are very few people on this earth whose hearts and intentions are always 100% pure. And so, well, I mean, you know, even if we use them with the right intention, <clears throat> there's probably always a part of us that we have to be able to guard, we have to watch and guard against, you know, falling into that trap. I don't travel without like a list, a ritual of prayers when I get on an airplane. Yeah. I mean, I wear my scapula every time I'm on an airplane and I try and wear it every day, but for sure when I'm yeah. on an airplane, I've got, well, and either... I would say, I would say that those kinds of things aren't any more superstitious, for example, than, you know, we, uh, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, especially on the evangelical side, put us to shame in terms of their knowledge of and devotion to the sacred scriptures. Mm-hmm. And I have plenty of friends who are, who won't go anywhere without their Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are, if they, if they're traveling, they're having, their Bible is in their car, their Bible is in their suitcase on the plane with them. You know, but I wouldn't say that's superstitious. You know, I, I okay. would say that's <laughs> tapping into, it's tapping into means of, of God's grace. And, uh, so I, I don't necessarily think those kinds of things are bad at all. You know, you brought up baseball at the, at the very beginning. I'm a huge, I played baseball. I'm a huge fan of baseball. I've now indoctrinated my son into loving baseball. And, uh, I'm just going to tell you, you know, if, uh, there's a certain pair of socks that he wins pitching in, <laughs> you know, the next game, we aren't washing those socks. You know? But, socks, but you're not washing them yeah, in holy water. I was going to say that. Yeah. I, I, I sit those off to the side and, 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 and he's wearing them the next game. You know, that's, but, but that's a thing in baseball, you know, yeah. baseball players, we are allowed to be superstitious in that sport. Oh, so yeah, as long as you're not being superstitious with your sacramental, right? No, 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 <laughs> okay, no. If, so- if he is wearing a scapular one game and he loses it, uh, loses the game, then we're replacing it with a different scapular the next game. So <laughs> Good. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh, okay. I have so many different thoughts about all of these things, but I want to go real fast to the, the superstitious quality. Cause I remember a priest once telling me that, um, whenever someone would come and bring him a, a statue of St. Joseph, when they were trying to sell a house, they would say, would you please bless the statue? And he would say, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> because he was like, I have absolutely no qualm about blessing a statue and, and giving these people a blessing on their way to selling their house, hoping and praying for the intercession of St. Joseph. He said, but I do not want them to bury it upside down in their yard. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I didn't even know where the upside down came from. Yeah. Um, but and he was facing like, a certain direction. Did did you know that there's a facing us yeah. like a yeah there's a there's a there's a serious argument do you point him facing your house so he intercedes for you selling your house or oh. do you point him facing the direction in which you want to move oh Sorry. yeah no no that's, that's <laughs> big time Whew, this is this is out of my out of my uh, <laughs> my range of knowledge, but I, I do wonder like would there be any concern about someone maybe with an not not an impure intention but maybe an imperfect understanding of intercession bringing a statue for blessing um, and and I know that there are different kinds of blessings as well yeah. which I guess we should probably talk a little bit about as well like we have uh, is it called the uh, cons constitutional blessing versus the invocative blessing. Right. 
could you maybe tell us a little bit about the difference between those? Yeah, so, so that distinction was a lot more commonly used prior to Vatican II, but you still certainly hear it, and it's still certainly a legitimate distinction. So there's there's really a distinction between a blessing, uh, for example, a blessing of a house in an exorcism-type situation where there's something not good going on in a house, and you're wanting to have that blessing substantively change the substance of something going on with that thing like an uh, exorcism yeah i mean it, you know that's just the for most people that's going to be the easiest comparison to make uh, if that's it's not necessarily the best one but it's the easiest one for people to kind of relate mm -hmm. to in their own minds but then there are other blessings that you know if i go and bless someone's car uh, which i'm able to do as a deacon and there's a book of blessings and there's a blessing for a car you know i I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessing the car in the sense that I'm, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirits and God's uh, protection and guidance over people who are traveling in that car. I'm not, I'm not blessing the car in the hopes that somehow it won't depreciate after the person drives it off the lot, and you know, it's substantively changing the nature of the car. So, you know, there's kind of that more of an intercessory notion of blessing. And that's where I'd say, you know, the blessing of the statue of St. Joseph would be, would fall into that camp. I'll just tell you, you know, we were St. Joseph statue blessers and barriers uh, on our two houses that, uh, that we sold. So, but I, again, I, I think it can be done with a good intention. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily done with a superstitious intention. Um, and that, that's an area, again, where I'd say, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, the, the lines of orthodoxy in the church that allow for a lot of room of, for disagreement within those lines. Uh -huh. And there are going to be some people who are not comfortable with, with that particular example you've thrown out there and other people who are comfortable with it and they have the right intention and they're perfectly fine with it and they're not falling into superstition. Uh, and there's going to be people who are superstitious with it. And that certainly would cross a line. It is my understanding that, uh, again, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, kind of Vatican II and some of the changes that were made in terms of the Book of Blessing. It's my understanding that prior to, and I don't remember the the date of the the old Book of Blessing, but but basically prior to Vatican II, there were there were blessings that were um, more attached to objects versus the people, just kind of the example that you gave in terms of the car, like you're blessing the people driving the car. You're asking for the, for the Holy Spirit to protect the people, not necessarily for, as you said, for the depreciation, yeah. although you would never, I mean, even, even a blessing of a car, if it was on the object itself, wouldn't be about appreciation or depreciation, you know, whatever the case may be, but well, my um, car would be. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. You know? But I guess, but I guess, my question is is more just of your opinion. Like, do you do you feel that there is an improvement in the Book of Blessing, and that it's no longer attaching to the object versus the the persons? Yeah, I would I would say uh, certainly, with all due respect and uh, to the teaching authority of Holy Mother Church. And to our, our our bishops and our holy father, personally, I would like to see the book of blessings move back, ah, or to be progressive, move forward, yes, to have a, a a better focus on the reality that our world is a we're not just spiritual, and and we interact not just with other human beings, but we interact with physical objects and physical mm -hmm. things, and and I think that. Uh, a stronger focus on 
uh, on the blessing of objects and the types of blessings that were in the old book of blessings to me would be a progressive improvement. I 100% agree. And it reminds me of, um, I had asked uh, a priest once if he would uh, bless some salt for us, because we had another priest who did it regularly, who had moved out of town, and I was out of blessed salt. And so I asked I asked this one priest if he would bless it for me, and he said, no, we don't, we don't do that anymore. And I was like, Ah, really? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Was very resistant to blessing the salt. And I think it's because, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that particular exercising um, blessing is not in the new book of blessing, or in fact, yes. holy, holy water, it's no longer required to use blessed salt. And so it's not right. in the normal, you know, blessing right. book. The old, the old blessing in the old missile is that has not been abrogated or done away with mm. and so a, a priest can still certainly bless salt under the uh, the rubrics of the old missile but you're right under uh under the uh the new book of blessings there is a blessing for holy water in which you, the use of blessed salt is is not relevant at all for the holy water at all whatsoever so yeah, it's you know that's that's a significant sacramental that I think if you spoke with most uh, approved, totally orthodox diocesan exorcists, you know they would tell you that's a major gap in our kind of spiritual armament these days. Well, and then I even heard that there are different kinds of holy water. Like we do have that that um, ordinary holy water that is just a blessing of the water that we use for baptisms and things like that. I believe, or at least in the in the water fonts that we bless ourselves in when we enter into a sanctuary, um, mm -hmm. but then or bless our homes with, as a matter of fact. And then we have like the next step up, which would be the exercised um, holy water, which does make use of the blessed salt and the prayers and the adding of the salt to the water and then all of those things. And then we have this thing called, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, epiphany water, which is almost like a step above the the old book of blessing exercised water that is specifically used by exorcists for um, their purposes, which we don't need to necessarily go into in this podcast <laughs> about sacraments and sacramentals, although that might actually be a really fun follow-up. Um, it would be. As... Having recently Googled that, uh, that appears <laughs> to be a thing. It does it. Okay. That's I love that. What can you tell us anything about Epiphany Water that no, I don't know? No, no, not not that I would trust myself to air on this podcast. Okay. As reliable that's a, information. That's a that's very the, smart lawyer right there. <laughs> I have a question about um holy water. So we just went through three obvious ones. And I've got a fourth one because I'm a big Lord's water connoisseur. I have a lot of Lord's water in my possession because our family took a trip when my mom was sick and we were planning to just bathe her at Lord's and, and we knew that it wasn't a guaranteed physical healing, but we knew at the very least you'd have a spiritual healing. And, um, that was something we really wanted to do. She ended up not making the trips. Um, she just couldn't make the plane ride. So Carrie and I thought, well, we're going to go and we're going to bring it back. We're going to bring Lourdes to mom, which we did. We did not bring back as much of Lourdes as we wanted because water is very heavy. So we get there and we buy all the plastic jugs, like the gallon jugs. They're heavy. And we, um, <clears throat> we fill them up with, with water. We have the little Mary plastic bottles that we're going to fill up with water and hand, you know, give to just people we know, people who might could use it or be blessed by it. And we get to the airport. And at that time, you could have liquids on the airport, on airplanes and travel with them. Um, 
Well, we, we bought like basically two or three extra plane tickets based on the weight of what we had. But they got to the point where our husbands were like, you got to get rid of those jugs. We'll take these jugs. You got to get rid of those jugs. So we go out to the parking lot and we're pouring it out and we're crying and I'm sipping and she's sipping and we pour and we're just like <laughs> bathing ourselves in it. It was, if anybody watched it, it was hilarious, but we were like just a disaster. And um, so we end up coming home with the water that we could afford to get on the airplane. And, um, and I have used it very religiously and I've used it for friends and I still have a lot. And it's amazing because, and my mom said this one time because we'd gotten a little bottle of Lord's water from a friend, but it was like a Coke bottle. And she said, you know, that's not a sealed bottle and we've had it for 10 years and there's no like growth and fungus or anything like that. I mean, it's still pure as the day that it was bottled. And um, that's kind of how ours is. But where does that fall in the holy water level? Like that's holy water too, right? Yeah. Well, it's absolutely. God maybe. And I would say that, uh, you know, one of the beautiful parts about our Catholic faith is we believe uh, that there, the reality is there are certain parts of this earthly existence that God has touched more directly than others. And, uh, you know, some of those are established as pilgrimage sites. You know, we make pilgrimages to other physical places mm -hmm. because we believe that making pilgrimages to these certain holy places, you know, puts us more directly in contact with God. That doesn't mean that you know, we can't get directly in contact with God praying in our room or in our office or at home or, or you know, or whatever in our home parish. But the reality is that there are certain events on this earth that have taken place that uh, because God has intervened more directly, that those places have become really, truly touched by God in a more visceral way. You know, and I would say it's, you know, it's not uh, the, the contrary can also be true. You know, there are certainly spots, and any diocesan exorcist would tell you this, that, uh, you know, evil spirits can cling to certain locations and certain spots in ways that they don't to others. Uh, <laughs> and so it, you know, so it, it cuts both ways. I mean, it, and so I don't think uh, there's anything superstitious about uh, having a special attachment to uh, holy water that comes from a spot where Our Lady appeared you know, mm -hmm. and where miraculous healings have occurred or, or something like that. I don't, I don't view that as superstition at all. I view that as recognizing the reality and the truth of these unique interventions by God uh, at certain locations on our, on our planet. So it is holy water. It's yes. holy. Okay. Yes. I have one more question. I know that we are uh, monopolizing your generosity and answering all of our questions, but they just kind of keep firing now that we're, we're digging in. But I have one more question that's going to kind of circle back to our, our thoughts on sacramentals. And Tracy, it, it was brought up when you were talking about um, the holy water from Lourdes. And I know that it is obviously uh, a sin of simony to sell holy water, right? You can sell the jug, but you can't sell the water, right? Um, but I have it has been a long practice of mine to go to like antique stores and um, find items, holy items, whether they be crucifixes or statues or whatever the case may be. Like we gave my parents one Christmas a um, a crucifix that was used as an altar cross uh, for an Eastern uh, Catholic rite, um, and they have it up in their home in a very predominant place. And um, obviously, I bought that from a very lovely dealer of, in, in, in antiquities. Um, but uh, 
How does, is that simony? My question is, do I have to go to confession now for the mortal sin of simony? Actually, it wouldn't be mortal because I didn't know it was a sin at the time. I know that there are qualifications. <laughs> Again, getting kind of technical here, but let, let's talk a little bit about that. Like if you're buying a, a blessed item, um, we know that we are not supposed to buy sacred things. Talk to me about that. Yeah, first of all, I think you should definitely go to confession. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Matt Glover. But that's just as a general rule of thumb. <laughs> not, I just think it's a good thing to do. Indeed. And, uh, but, you know, I think a lot of that goes to the intent. Mm. So, and again, only God can judge intent. It's right. certainly not a good thing to go around selling blessed items and trying to profit off of uh, blessed items. Um, but, it, you know, it's one thing to to go and purchase up items that you suspect and know probably have been blessed for the purpose of then using them for your own veneration or mm -hmm. your family's veneration and usage to draw you know everybody closer to to God. It's another thing to engage in simony in the sense of that you're trying to sell grace, you know. Yeah. And whenever we get when we cross the line into thinking that you know, we are selling grace to other people uh, or that we can somehow spend enough money to then mm. uh, purchase grace for ourselves or for other people. That's certainly crossing the line. And, but, but that, you know, ultimately only God can judge uh, someone's heart. That said, certainly uh, someone's actions, um, once they get to a certain level, uh, and you can in a certain sense, you can read someone's intention by, by their, by their actions and what they're doing. The fruit. Um, yeah. 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 Thank you. So we always close up our podcast for the past two times we've had podcasts. <laughs> Both, Both of them. <laughs> Both times we always did this. Uh, we end in our last little bit. Um, which is just like, it can be a quick take on something that has absolutely nothing to do with what we just talked about, but it's just like something that's on your heart, something that's on your mind. Sometimes this Holy Spirit sends little inspirations, like somebody needs to know this. And it can be like a book you read, a movie you saw, a conversation you had, a cool story about your life. And so um, not to put you necessarily on the spot. In fact, I will give you a little bit of a second to think about it, but this is kind of how we close up um, our podcast. Tracy, do you have anything um, yeah, on your mind? Yeah. So on my mind, I want, I wish the listeners could see our equipment. We kind of teased out last week that we were going to have, or on our last <laughs> podcast, that we were going to have microphones, that our sound quality was going to improve. And um, we do. And we look very, very official and very professional. And about two hours ago, mine was in like five different pieces. And Brian helped me get it together, but I hope I can't wait to listen to the podcast today because I have just huge expectations that we're <laughs> going to sound like, um, you know, I don't know who, who used to do the, the late night, Larry King. We're going to sound like Larry King. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't sound like Larry King with my smoke. Like well, Larry King. Female Larry King. Extra technical support. Eminent <laughs> Larry King, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think my last little bit um, has to do with our topic today in terms of sacramentals and my favorite sacramental. That was something that was on my mind as I was just kind of reflecting on what we were going to talk about today. And my absolute favorite sacramental that I have kept in my purse and on my person 
for as long as I can remember of my adult life was a rosary that was given to me by um, my aunt, my mom's sister, who is a rosary maker, a very talented one, in fact. And um, she has made gorgeous rosaries, like, you know, 14 karat gold and garnet rosaries, of which I have one. Um, And I mean, just amazing rosaries. But she made this one that she called a pro-life rosary. And um, every uh, bead was a special um, crystal uh, bead, uh, that was supposed to represent a different aspect of, uh, sort of the seamless garment of our pro-life ethic or our respect for life. And, you know, like one decade might have blue and white, blue and white, blue and white for the, for the 10 beads. And on the blues, you would pray for the father's of children who are at risk um, of abortion. And on the whites, we would pray for the soul of the baby um, at risk of abortion and and so on and so forth in terms of the, the rest of the decades. Um, and it was always such a, a special um, rosary for me. I prayed it countless times in front of abortion clinics. I prayed it um, on airplanes, you know, <laughs> wherever. Where, th- that was I do my best work. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the rosary. That was the rosary I used at all times. It was my, it was my default rosary. And um, we even brought it recently to uh, venerate the heart of St. John Vianney. And I, you know, placed it on the the enclosure of the reliquary of the heart of St. John Vianney, which I think makes it a third-class relic, right, Matt? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, it made it it super special and and it made it even more special to me. But um, one of my things that I've been working on is detachment. And we went a couple of weeks ago to, mo- to meet one of my new nephews and, um, he was just born and, um, he, he had some, some challenges upon his birth. And, uh, the night that he came home, um, as we were kind of closing up shop with his parents and saying our goodbyes, we decided to say, uh, a divine mercy chaplet, um, for the sweet little baby and for his parents. And, um, I felt so strongly the Holy Spirit telling me, this is his rosary. This is the rosary that you have been praying on um, for the respect for life, um, for babies whose lives might be discarded because of their challenges, might be discarded because someone views their life as um, less valuable than others. And so I felt so strongly that um, that he was the person that I had been praying on this rosary for, for 20 years. And so I had to give it to his parents. And so I don't have that sacramental anymore. So I am in search <laughs> in search of a new favorite sacramental, but that was my favorite one. That's awesome. That's my life. I love that. You're awesome. Top that, um, Deacon. <laughs> What's, what is James's batting average? There's zero uh, chance of me being able to follow up. <laughs> I would, uh, you said you asked about James's batting average. We, we keep track, <laughs> we keep track on his baseball team of, uh, uh, you know, as the game goes on of all the stats and stuff electronically on this thing called game changer. Anyway, I'm kind of in, have been in charge of this past year Shocker. and I have very, I know I've been very, <laughs> uh, very charitably, uh, anytime a kid gets a self-appointed, that's right. Anytime a kid gets a hit, even if it's on an error, I, I don't count it as an error because that goes against your batting average. I count that as a hit. So <laughs> at the end of the season, James's batting average was like 650 or something like that. <laughs> and so I, he was looking at the stats and I had to explain to him, son, I hate to break it to you, but you're not actually hitting 650. You're, you're more like a 300 hitter with an extra 300 points of errors mixed in with that. So we call uh, this but, the paternal batting average. That's right. It's that's a, right. you know it's God's grace shining through. Yeah. That, uh, 
even things we don't deserve, uh, even when we don't deserve it, we get a little extra from God. So there Amen. you go. Amen. You know what? That was the perfect way to end. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful. Thank you.